And I think there's disruption. You know, there's a tremendous amount of disruption and dislocation that's going on in the market for the haves and the have-nots, just in people's lives, but also in businesses as well, where some people have been well-positioned to take advantage of COVID and some have not. And, and then there's some that could have and just moved slow. And I've talked to a lot of people and it's like, you know, they're just getting around to making changes that they should have made three or six months ago. And it's like, what took you so long? This pace is so much faster today. You got to move quick. Even if you don't have all the data and all the answers, the ability just to be agile. And even if you make a mistake, just adjust quickly. But speed is critical in the day and age. And I think that pace is only going to accelerate. Welcome to Season 2 of the Tech Sales Insights Podcast. I'm David Noor, your co-host. Let me ask you, what lessons have you learned from the global pandemic? How is the nature of technology sales evolving in your organization? And what new skills and traits will enable you, your team, and your organization to remain relevant? These are just some of the conversations the sales community founder, Randy Seidel, and I have each week with fabulous guests this coming year. This podcast and the sales community is all about your transformation to a more data-savvy selling pro, given the expedited trends of working from anywhere, more sophisticated remote selling, and increased reliance by the entire sales organization on digital ecosystems. Join us each week as you explore digital skills, a relationship-first focus, and a personal brand committed to exceptional experiences. Randy and I will interview sales professionals, managers, and leaders on how they're thinking and leading differently in the tech sales evolution. So let's get started. Our guest today on the Tech Sales Insight Podcast is Peter McKay, CEO of Sneak. Randy, what can you tell us about Peter? Peter and I first met, I think, back probably around 2013 when he was running uh, Americas for VMware and always has had a a fantastic reputation. Uh, I found him to be a very impressive operator and leader. Uh, I also actually helped recruit him to his uh, president and eventual CEO role at Beam. And now seeing the great work that he's done at Sneak is... um, Uh, really just fantastic to see. He does an amazing job really getting all functional areas, I'd say, kind of rowing together and aligned in the same direction. And the uh, investors and shareholders at at Veeam and Sneak and other companies where he's been have uh, also, I'm sure, been uh, very thankful taking companies from uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to billions of dollars. And in the small uh, world category, I think one of our previous guests, Peter Bell at Amity Ventures, is an investor sneak, correct? Oh, uh, you're right. Yes. That's fantastic. Look forward to learning more from Peter McKay. Absolutely. Welcome back to another episode of the Tech Sales Insights. I'm delighted that we're joined by Peter McKay, CEO of Sneak. Peter, welcome. Great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. For those that may not know as much about your background, can you share a few minutes about where you've been, what you've done? Sure, yes. So I started out many, many years ago, too many to count. I actually started out as an accountant. I became a controller and then I 
saw how the checks I was writing to sales reps. And I said, I could do that. And I switched and became a sales rep and then a sales manager, then sales and marketing and direct, indirect, big company, small company. Then I said, you know, I think I got a pretty good understanding of these businesses. I know the finance side and the sales side. So I became a CEO. I've done five different CEO. This is my fifth CEO journey from companies with no revenue to four over four billion in revenue. So been on a, a, a great journey and it's been a lot of fun and I'm learning something every day. It's a great background. Tell us a little about Sneak. What do you guys do? So Sneak is focused on what we call cloud native application security. So it's application security, but building security into the developer's lifecycle. So traditionally security was done by these high-end security professionals who when a developer finishes an app, they send it over to the security team, they audit it and throw it back over the fence to developers. Long, slow, cumbersome. And so what we decided five years ago was, you know, that's crazy. We need to build it in just like you would fix a quality bug soon in, in that software development journey. And so we've built a developer tool that embeds security within the tools that developers use every day to make sure as they're developing applications and using open source and using containers and using different frameworks like Kubernetes and Terraform, that we're securing all those environments as you're going through the software development lifecycle. So when you're done, it's secure. And that's a far more scalable, that concept of shift left that companies are going through is really about shifting and empowering developers to be more secure. And that's what we do. And it's been kind of right place at the right time. Did you have a security background or how did you make this leap? And how's the learning curve been so far? Let's see, like 22 years ago, I was the CEO. My second CEO job was a company called Watchfire, which was in the application security business, coincidentally. And we had a product called AppScan. IBM eventually bought that business and they bought it because they wanted to embed security into the developer experience through Rational, believe it or not. And so the founder of Sneak was the CTO of security at Watchfire, where we saw that, well, it wasn't ready for developers at that point, 18 years ago. But over the years, we saw that that's the way it needs to happen. So I've always been fascinated by security. I think it's a great void in the market. So learning curve hasn't been that much, although you're dealing with developers more often than you are security. And There's a user and then there's a buyer, and those are different. And that's a kind of a new twist. We've had Jim Sullivan as a previous guest and Frank Rausch. I know a couple of guys you know well. Yeah. I'm assuming the pandemic and this massive effort to really get on board with digitizing and digitalizing businesses and business models has been good for you guys. We were kind of riding a wave of that digital transformation to begin with. And then when COVID happened, it was really an accelerant of that digital transformation, accelerated years of that journey for companies. And as I said before, our world is these cloud native apps, these new applications that companies are building. And so that old model of you know develop something for six months or nine months and then make it into production, increasingly companies were becoming much more agile. So whether you're a manufacturing or auto or travel business, increasingly you're becoming more of a tech company, more of a software-driven company. And so for us, that's what we did. We secure those incredibly creative new applications. And so with COVID coming around, we accelerated our investment in our roadmap and our team to really take advantage of the shift 
And it's been, for us, 2020 has been a very successful year. So I was really curious in our last conversation, when you alluded to running a business with no revenues and running a business four billion in revenues. Peter, are there two or three highlights in your career that you believe have had a profound impact on who you are? That's a great question. You know, I think one of the things that I think has served me very well is, you know, you think, okay, I've been in the software world for 30 years. Like I know everything, like I've seen it all. And I think for me, one, the ability to learn and just uh, continue to absorb, you know, don't think you have all the answers. And everybody who comes in with these playbooks, like, okay, I'm going to do, this is my way of doing it. And, you know, I see these people come and go. And I think every company I've been with is very different. And so you really have to learn what's different. Playbooks, you know, great guideline to start, but keep that to yourself in a way until you really understand the business and you learn it. Then I think the second one is be able to change. You know, some people are just so set in their ways that it's like, okay, this is the way I've done it. This is the way I'm always going to do it. And I just see that just doesn't fly today because the people coming into the workforce are dramatically different. The approaches that you take are so different. The buying cycles and the, the way customers buy today is totally different. And so if you're not learning and you're not adapting to that world, then you'll be a dinosaur in a matter of years. And so, you know, I think for me, it's just constantly learning. I learn every day. It's something new. And I surround myself with really good people that I can learn from, but you got to be flexible to take in things that you may not have thought were right. And then, huh, let's give it a shot. It's different. I've never done that before, but let's try it. And so I think those two things have served me very well. Despite how old I am, you know, I am adapting by the day and I'm a sponge as new things come up and I'm learning. I really appreciate your comment that you surround yourself with, you know, some of your folks are half your age and they may do things very differently than you do, but giving that a chance and really being open to it has helped you learn and grow. So Peter, we talked about learning, absorbing what's different about the business, adapting to the changes around you. Are there some trends you're seeing in the market with COVID, with all the uncertainties, with the accelerated digital transformation that you believe is going to stay with us? in terms of its impact on tech sales after COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we talked a little bit about this massive accelerant to digital transformation. I think that's here to stay. I think if you're not on that journey or pretty far down that journey, I think you've already lost any competitive advantage you may have had. And so I see that just continuing to pick up the pace, you know, investment more in software and automation and cloud. I think that's going to continue to go very strong. I think the other is just this whole concept. And, you know, and I had a great experience at VMware. I was there. VMware was very much a Palo Alto centric company. And if they were flexible and I I could have worked anywhere, I probably would still be at VMware. But all roads led to kind of headquarters and I couldn't move. I wasn't going to move. I didn't, I wasn't in a position to move. And so I moved on. And I think this whole distributed workforce now where you can hire the best people wherever they are, it's proven. Our business is very distributed. It's multicultural. We hire the best people wherever we can find them, and our business is going better than it's ever been. So I think it proves for a lot of companies, this distributed workforce and hiring the best people wherever you find, I think that's here to stay. For companies who can make that transition, if you haven't already, you know, I think that's going to be a plus. 
And I think there's disruption. You know, there's a tremendous amount of disruption and dislocation that's going on in the market for the haves and the have-nots, just in people's lives, but also in businesses as well, where some people have been well-positioned to take advantage of COVID and some have not. And, and then there's some that could have and just moved slow. And I've talked to a lot of people and it's like, you know, they're just getting around to making changes that they should have made three or six months ago. And it's like, what took you so long? This pace is so much faster today. You got to move quick. Even if you don't have all the data and all the answers, the ability just to be agile. And even if you make a mistake, just adjust quickly. But speed is critical in the day and age. And I think that pace is only going to accelerate. So those would be some of the things. So I'm always fascinated by what I call organizational lethargy, right? So I'm dying to hear, what was the response when you ask them, what is this taking you so long? You know, I don't typically say it that way, but it's like, uh, you know, it's more about, okay, how can we help you? How can I help you? Or how can you accelerate? I try to also understand why. Why are you just getting to this now? What prevented you from making these decisions? And, you know, we've all been in these companies that just a little bit analysis paralysis, or there's a lot of people who can say no, but not a lot of people who can say yes, because they're just kind of weathering the storm and nobody wants to take that risk. And, and so, you know, it's like, okay, here's what I would do if I were you, and here's some of the things you should do, and, but you better do it fast because other companies who you're competing with are. And so it leads to some aha moments for a lot of companies that you talk to. I mean, we see in our world, we typically gravitate to the ones that are the most aggressive and we kind of qualify out of the ones that aren't because it's like, okay, you're going to be years before you're going to make this shift left in this transition. The ones that are the most adaptive and the ones that are the most aggressive are the ones that are really talking to us. And so it's interesting to see how this is all going to play out. For our audience, I I was on a call with seven senior executives of a very traditional company in a very traditional industry that, by the way, is doing about $4 billion in revenue. They're all remote. There's a corporate headquarters, but everybody's working remote. And the CEO, uh, Peter, said something distinct that resonated with me that you just reinforced echoing your comment. You know, I asked how things going. They're amidst this massive transformation. He said, I'd really like to see us learn faster, move faster, break things faster, right? And this is a massive company that they just, the sense of urgency and the ability to move. Talking about urgency and moving differently because of the pandemic, because of all the uncertainty, has the sneak sales, go-to-market structure changed because of the pandemic? And if so, how? Well, I think in a lot of cases, we accelerated some things and then decelerated a few things. One, we looked at the markets, the way we segmented the markets and the verticals we were going after, and definitely de-emphasized certain verticals and emphasized other verticals that were would take advantage of the opportunity. And we did that within a couple of weeks. We started shifting over, you know, our messaging and our positioning. We changed because of COVID. We invested in building out more of our SDR and inside sales teams really quick. Because we wanted people who are good on the phone, not necessarily people that need to be successful face-to-face. And so very quickly, we shifted our hiring profile. We also knew that we could do more. Uh, We could reach more people than we ever did before because everybody was available. Nobody's traveling. People who you couldn't get to before, you could get to now. So the marketing campaigns changed. The sales, much more heavy, heavy investment 
in SDRs and BDR, you know, development of our pipeline and lead gen and qualifying, and then more of an inside sales where we had it, but we increased the kind of the threshold to, hey, if you guys are successful here, you're going to be successful selling above 50, 60, $70,000 ASPs. And so really a change in the way we market, the way we sold. Customer success also changed in the way we developed our product. We looked at certain things that were going to be accelerants, and we invested heavily to build that out far faster and take advantage of the market at a time when everybody else was laying people off. So this year, we've probably 30%, almost 40% increase in headcount this year over last year, but a time when a lot of people were laying off. And we looked at that as an opportunity also to get really good talent when a lot of companies were shedding a lot of talent. You are an EVP at PTC, you are at VMware, you're at Veeam. Are there some consistent traits or attributes of the top tech sales professionals you've hired, you've seen, you've maybe competed against? Yeah, you know, since I was an individual sales rep, I always gravitated to who are the best and where do you learn from? And you study it, you know, and I always tried to very early on because you know, I was an accountant and now I need to learn how to sell. And so where do you learn? You learn from the best. And I put my cubicle right next to this woman who was by far the best salesperson that we had. And I just listened. I listened to her talk and the way she presented and what she did. And I said, okay, I want to be better. And I think kind of going through, I kind of studied that throughout the years. Okay, VMware and, and Veeam, you, you looked at these people and you know, there's this whole Harvard Business Review that talked about the two successful sales rep, you know, drive and empathy, you know, someone who's got the drive and the chip on the shoulder and hungry on one end, but also very empathetic. These sales reps who uncomfortably ask just a tremendous amount of questions and listen more than they talk and just know what to ask at the right time. And, and I just found that fascinating with these salespeople, the ones that are very successful Sometimes you just don't think they are. You look at them and you're like, really? That person is the person who sold that $10 million deal. And you just start to talk to them and you go on calls with them. You're like, yep, now I understand. Driven, smart, humble, and very successful. And, you know, you've, VMware had a tremendous, I mean, great, great success. You know, Veeam, same thing. So you surround yourself with people that are like that, you know, that are, hungry and and that that are empathetic and that they've just have a good track record for success. How would you characterize the same in sales managers? Ah, that's a massive topic on its own because, you know, a lot of times, you know, your best sales reps, you know, those are the ones who usually a lot of times get promoted, but they're not usually always the best managers. And so, you know, that's a challenge for the salespeople and everybody kind of, it's almost for a lot of them, it's a, it's a rite of passage. They need to become a sales manager. Half of them make it through and the other half realize that for whatever reason, one reason or another, that they're better off just being a rep because one, it's just less aggravation. It's only you that you have to drive success and you're not good at it. And that's okay. Not everybody is the right fit to be a sales manager. I found that moving from a sales to sales manager was challenging, but not as challenging as being the manager of managers, which was even, I found harder because, you know, if you're the manager, you pick your people, you train them the way you want, you're communicating your style, you're part of a team. And, and I found that was fun, exciting. 
being the manager of managers, I found harder because you had to go through someone else to get to the team that you wanted to. And you got to let people do it their way. And so I found that to be a harder transition for me to make than to be the frontline manager, because in a lot of cases, they're finding all the deals and you're helping them close them. And so it's the fun part of the sales process you're involved in. But when you're the manager of managers, that to me was much harder. Talking about transition, was it difficult or what would you say were the biggest hurdles in going from a large publicly traded or or massive organization to maybe smaller ones or maybe VC or, or private equity kind of back? How are those particularly unique to lead? Another great question. Big companies have lots of resources. You know, you've got all the glossy material, you've got all the Bain and you got McKinsey and you got all these people kind of giving you kind of the different strategies and approaches and carving out and they segment the market. When you're a small company, you got to kind of figure that out on your own. You know, you've got to develop your own stuff. You got to be scrappy. You've got to test a lot of ABC testing on messaging and positioning and to figure out the right sales approach and steps along the way and who's the buyer, who's the user. And it's much more hands-on. And, you know, some people don't like it and some people love it. I like the big company because it taught me scale. It taught me how to do things in a massive scope. And you, you kind of saw what good looked like, you know, at a certain point. And so when you go back to doing, and, you know, from VMware, it was $4 billion, And then I go to, to Veeam, which was $300 million, And then you go to Sneak was less than $4 million. And so, you know, I'm going smaller and smaller. Definitely much more hands-on, much more figuring things out. It's like you like to solve puzzles. The smaller, the better. Because it's all these puzzle pieces that if you can pull them all together, the product, the messaging, the sales motion, the marketing, demand gen, all that, if you can put it together, you can be incredibly successful. And for the right person, it's a blast. For others, it's like a fish out of water. It's hard to do. It's not easy to go from a big company to a small, just as hard as going from a small to a large, which I've done both. Thinking about your past. Can you describe a favorite past manager uh, or maybe a lasting piece of advice or coaching that really has defined how you lead? People ask, you know, who's your mentor? And, and I've always struggled with that question because, you know, I've had a lot of managers over the years. And I think back to maybe the top five. And, and there's always been something like one or two things that I pulled out that I'm like, wow, that's good. I want to be like that. But there's other things that I look at and I'm, well, I don't want to be like that. So with everyone, you kind of take the good pieces along the way that you have with your manager. I have one when I was at CA, unbelievable speaker and just so dynamic and so engaging. And I love that. And I said, I want to be like that someday. But there's other aspects you're like, holy cow, this guy is not a very nice person. And so I said, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like a piece of that person. And so, you know, when I've gone through my career, instead of looking for the one person who, you know, you think I want to be like, everybody's going to have some strengths. They're going to have some weaknesses. And you grab those strengths and grab those areas where you think, hey, I think I can learn. I think that's, that's what I want to get better at. And that's really had to impact my career. I know, you know, when I look back, it's always been certain things that I think someone did better than me. And I said, well, I want to do that better than I can do now. And been very focused on taking a weakness that I've had 
and trying to make it a strength. And it's a little bit of whack-a-mole because you fix one, you got another one and another one. But you know, that's been my goal. Part of it is that learning that I've always tried to focus on is always learning new things along the way. And when you see something that's good, you know, it continues to push you to raise the bar on things that you could be better at. And I've been just fixated on that throughout my career is, yes, you have strengths, but you also have weaknesses and you play to your strengths, but also, you know, know what those weaknesses are and how do you take a weakness and make it a strength? And that's what I've tried to do. Thinking about where you've been and what you've done, talking about strengths and weaknesses, are there three pieces of advice you would give the finance and accounting (laughs) days Mm -hmm. where you were just getting started? What do you wish you knew then that you know now? You know, I would say the first was, and I kind of said some of it is, you know, focusing on your weaknesses, continue to learn. You know, I would say one of them was I was so focused on trying to be the best that I could be. And you get competitive because I played sports and, you, you know, you compete and salespeople always compete. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But there was a point in my career where I recognized that it was less about me and more about others and helping others. And it's a weird concept. It's very different in that the more I focused on helping others be successful, the more I became successful. This was even when I was a sales rep. You know, I'd help anybody I could help because I had different skill sets that they had. But even as a manager and then a manager of managers and then CEO, you know, it became less about me and more about others. And the more I focused on others, the more it benefited me. You know, this whole concept of, and I never really understood this concept until I got to VMware. People would come up to me and say, you got such a great brand. And I'm like, what do you mean by brand? Like, what are you talking about brand? Well, it's like a reputation. And I'm like, okay, well, what's that brand? And he said, well, you get shit done. You know, people trust you. You know, you say you're going to do certain things and you get it done. And you're a team player. And so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, just like any product, you have a brand and certain aspects that you want to be associated with. And I want to be a high integrity person. I want to make sure people think I get shit done. I genuinely care about people. I care deeply. Certain things that you want to be associated with. And that's where it follows you through your career. And I never realized that until later in my career, how the decisions you make along the way and how people perceive them will become your brand. And, you know, think about it. And what do you want your brand to be? And how people will look at because there's so many times that it, what comes around goes around. And it's such a small world in tech and some of the world we live in that you tend to know you're like one removed from everybody. And you just want to make sure don't burn any bridges and your brand is everything. And just be conscious of that as early as you can in your career and make sure it's going in the right direction the way you want it to. Because when you're 20 years into your career and you look back and you, you, know, you can say, hey, I never burnt a bridge. I never did anything unethical. You know, that sticks with you. And people recognize that. For our audience, a lot of times coaching executives exactly to Peter's point is that if you think about global brands we all recognize and appreciate, there's a definitive brand promise right? You buy a car, you buy that suit, you buy that appliance, here's what you're going to get. And then after you experience it, you actually either 
they're going to earn that brand equity yeah. or you're going to dilute it, right? So yes. you got to make sure that that reputation actually matches what people experience in working yes. with you and interacting with you. So Peter, this has been fabulous. As I suspected in our last conversation, some great, great nuggets. For our last question, I'm going to give you an option. Either a great story about Randy Seidel and, and just know that I'm paying cash, right? The better the story, the more I'm willing to pay cash because we're going to get some t-shirts made. <laughs> or give us a glimpse of what do you do for fun outside of work? Well, I, I would say, you know, I got a lot of great stories. I mean, good stories about Randy. Randy's one of those guys that, you know, it's not a fun story, but someone told me, you got to know Randy Seidel. And I'm like, I have no idea who Randy Seidel is, but he said, oh, you got to know Randy Seidel. He knows everybody. And so they connected me up with Randy and, you know, Randy started going through and he said, how many kids do you have? What's your, and I said, yeah, I have a kid. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of going to St. Sebastian, St. Sebastian, my kids go to St. Sebastian. And he's like, oh yeah, we got to go through. We tried last year. He's like, okay, got it. I'm taking care of it. I'm like, I'm going to help you get into things. So that, and I don't know this guy from a hole in the wall. And next thing you know, I've got a meeting with the headmaster of St. Sebastian's and he was there. He, he, you know, got me, I mean, he's an incredibly caring person and someone that I, you know, I didn't know. And I went back to the person who introduced me. This is amazing. He's like, you know, that's Randy. That's Randy. And so, I don't know, I've been friends with him ever since. And, you know, he's one of those guys that if you ever needed somebody, you definitely know that a guy like Randy would be there for you. So I'm a good friend. He's one of those like relationship Swiss army knives, right? Yes. You don't know where or who he knows or how he knows them, but he'll, <laughs> you know, he'll pull out that unique tool that you need right when you need it. But absolutely joking aside, he really does have a heart of gold and he will just yes. go out of his way to make sure you're successful. For our audience, you've been listening to Peter McKay, CEO of Sneak. Peter, thank you for your time, for your insights. Thanks for being a guest on our podcast today. Oh, it's been great. Thanks, David. Thanks for the time. If you've listened to the Tech Sales Insights recently, you've heard that we're adding a ton of content, best practices, and are scheduling regular virtual sessions such as Tuesdays with Tony and your 10x Interactive Online Roundtables I'll lead each month. Randy and the sales community team have done a fabulous job attracting over 200 CROs, VPs of sales, and thousands of sales professionals, managers from global tech companies. So we invite you to jump in, ask questions, start conversations. Make sure you attend some of these events to elevate your thinking, expand your perspective, and extend your network with other tech sales professionals. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Peter McKay. I wrote about Peter and his incredible impact on organizations he leads in my forthcoming book, Curvebenders, as well. Here are the three norm notes, a summary insights you can immediately apply in three minutes or less. Listen to these executives' responses when I ask them, what profound impact did a piece of advice or a former boss share with you? And I love Peter's comment of you got to be constantly learning and absorbing and particularly this day and age, changing and analyzing what works for you, what doesn't. I believe we don't make enough time to think. So set some time on your calendar, block off some time on your calendar, just think what's going well for you, what do you need to think about 
and really do differently. Number two, traits of a great rep. You've heard some of these things from other past guests as well. The best ones are constantly learning. They listen. They synthesize. They present. They studied in various companies, right? They're smart. They are scrappy. I love that comment. They're driven and they have this incredible sense of empathy. All of these executives can't be wrong. So really think about your own personal and professional growth. Are you exercising some of these things? The last comment was after COVID. What are some of the trends that are going to stay with us? This accelerated digital transformation, I see it unequivocally across all, if not most of my clients, to this work from anywhere, right? This distributed workforce going to dramatically impact uh, big cities, I believe commercial real estate, several different industries. And last but not least, kind of this disruption is going to come at us more often. It's going to happen with more frequency, with potentially greater impact. Most executives I'm talking to have figured out how to navigate their way around this current pandemic. Their concern is the next one. God forbid, what if it was cyber or a natural disaster? So how resilient are you? How are you building that resilience to be able to face the next disruption uh, as proactively as possible? So think about these things. Make a uh, committed effort to really evaluate your own place, your own position, where you are, skills, knowledge, behaviors, and what do you need to do to elevate some of those? Don't forget three quick points. Uh, Randy Seidel and I host each week's guest on a Twitter chat, basically Q&A on Twitter. So search Twitter for the hashtag Tech Sales Insights for the latest updates. Number two, we turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out at salescommunity.com. Last but not least, our next guest is Mark Stevenson, the Chief Revenue Officer at Evisort. So stay updated at salescommunity.com slash events. Randy Saddle and I had so much fun that we're back for season two. We're so thankful for our listeners on the Tech Sales Insight Podcast. I want to keep producing great content you want to hear. So we'd love to hear your feedback in the Sales Community Podcast thread or simply email podcast at salescommunity.com. Topics, guests, or other topics, other issues you want us to tackle in the evolution of technology sales. Also, don't forget to follow the sales community on various social media channels for our latest updates, including the weekly Twitter chat, the Q&A we host on Twitter, using the hashtag TechSalesInsights. Insights.